Uh, today, we are starting a new series called Jesus Encounter. Jesus Encounter. Um, I've come to realize that sometimes if there's a, if there's a recurring theme um, going through my mind, that I've come to realize that many times that is the Lord leading uh, me to, to bring us into a subject that he wants us to cover. Um, a phrase that I've had rolling around in the back of my mind for the last um, probably week or so um, is Jesus, our Messiah. Jesus, our Messiah. I want to take a few weeks and I want to talk about the various roles, titles, and anointings of Jesus. This is the one we claim to follow. We should probably learn about the one we claim to follow. And um, uh, encountering the transformation happens at the intersect of two things, the spirit of God and the word of God. We have times of worship, times of praise. We're changed and transformed through that. But it's also through the, um, through the word of God. It's really the intersect of those two things. That's why we have worship and teaching. It's the intersect of those two things where real transformation comes into our lives. And so uh, we want to teach on Jesus, who he is, and all of his various aspects and roles. He has many titles. The title of our message today is called Jesus, Our Messiah. Messiah means the anointed one. We'll, we'll circle back to that in a minute, the anointed one. The whole Old Testament, you need to know, the whole Old Testament is written in anticipation of the one who is called Messiah. There's what's known as the messianic hope, the messianic hope of the scriptures. And there are many messianic prophecies about one that was to come called the Messiah, in fact, you will never fully understand what you're reading in the Old Testament unless you understand this messianic hope. This was all in anticipation and foreshadowing this one that is to come. We've said this many times here, but the Old Testament is Christ concealed. The New Testament is Christ revealed. But here you have generation after generation in the Old Testament looking for this person, looking forward to the coming Messiah. Okay, Jews to this day... Um, who aren't believers in, in Jesus, Jews to this day are looking for the coming of a Messiah. And we, the Bible is actually clear that one day that their eyes will be open and they will see Jesus as the one true Messiah. Um, the first time we see a messianic promise in the Bible, was it almost emerged immediately in the Bible. Um, how many know that um, the Bible starts in Genesis chapter 1? Write that down. Okay, <laughs> Genesis chapter 1, and then what comes after that is actually Genesis chapter 2. And these are the first two chapters of the Bible, okay? And this is the only portion of your Bible where there's like no sin, where the world is perfect. And then after that, uh, sin comes into the world. Why? The, the devil deceives Adam and Eve into sinning, and now we have this problem of sin to deal with. But I love that God gives the first glimpse of the Messiah to come as soon as the problem emerges. As soon as the problem emerges, we find that God jumps into action with a plan right away. In fact, it seems that he had the plan before the problem happened, okay? Isn't that just like the Lord? Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God is speaking to the devil. He says this after, after the devil had deceived Adam and Eve. He says, I will put enmity, that is hostility, conflict. I will put conflict between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Okay, how will that happen? Then he says, he will crush your head 
and you will strike his heel. Okay, how many know that the he that is being referred to there is our first promise of redemption in the scriptures? The problem came in, sin came in, death came into the world, destruction, and everything bad and awful you see happening in the world came in, but immediately God says, hey, he is coming. He's going to crush your head, you, you serpent. And in that process, in doing so, you're actually going to bite his heel. You're going to strike his heel, bruise his heel, as other translations say, um, but he's going to crush your head. Jesus, of course, was born many generations later and destroyed the work of the enemy on the cross. And in doing so, Jesus was, of course, wounded. So much so that it looked like for a brief moment, the serpent had actually won. Jesus, Jesus laid down his life, and it looked like, oh, he's, de- he's defeated. He's in the grave. But how many know? Three days later, he came out of the grave with victory over sin, death itself, and disarmed the enemy. Generation after generation was looking for this anointed one who would destroy the works of darkness. There were glimmers of hope throughout scriptures. You would have a a righteous king come to power, and there were glimmers of hope that maybe this is the Messiah, maybe this is, maybe this is him, maybe this is the one the scriptures were talking about. Um, many people had thought perhaps King David, you know, might have been the Messiah, and because King David is probably the greatest king of, of or one of the greatest kings of the Old Testament, and as great as the king King David was, it turns out that David himself was not completely immune to the serpent's bite because we know Jesus or we know that David himself had his own sin to contend with. He was he was poisoned by the poison of sin. He couldn't save others from their sin because he had his own sin to deal with. David was not the Messiah, but it was proclaimed through scripture that the Messiah would come through the line and the lineage of King David. And we see this in Matthew chapter 1. Jesus Jesus's earthly father Joseph his lineage in Matthew chapter 1 can be traced back to King David, Jesus' earthly father. And then we see in Luke chapter 3 that his mother, Mary, her lineage can be traced back to King David. And, and then that lineage in uh, Luke chapter 3 goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. Everyone was looking for this Messiah. I want to read um, Luke chapter 25. This isn't in the notes. Um, but I want to, sorry, Luke doesn't go to chapter 25. Luke 2, I just looked, it's, I was at the end of Luke, I'm like, Luke 24, oh, there's no 25. <laughs> Let's try this again, Luke 2, 25. <laughs> Give me a second. Just want to show you, everyone's watching for him, everyone's waiting for him, everyone's looking to him. Jews to this day still are. All right, it says... It says this, 220, there we go. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought the child, Jesus, to, to him to do for him what was customary of the law required, Simeon took 
in his arms and took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. How many are happy about that? A lot of revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Everyone was waiting. Everyone was watching. Simeon had a promise from the Lord. You're not going to die until you see the Lord's Messiah. So when Andrew said to Peter, we have found him, they were saying they found the one that the Old Testament, the one the Old Testament speaks about. The Greek word uh, for Christ is Christos. Everyone say Christos. And it means the anointed one. It is a noun speaking of a person, speaking of Jesus. And it comes from a verb, means to anoint. It comes from the verb creo. Everyone say creo. You're all scholars now, Greek scholars. Yay. Creo means this, to anoint by rubbing or pouring olive oil on someone to represent the flow, that is the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Anointing literally involved rubbing oil on someone's head, uh, etc., especially to present someone as divinely authorized that is appointed by God to serve as prophet, priest, or king. Okay? In the Old Testament, the anointing was used to anoint three, three different types of people. Prophets, those who spoke the oracles of the Lord. Priests, those who represented God and, and was a mediator for people. And kings, those who ruled and were in authority. Each of those um, aspects represents an aspect of what the Messiah would do, what the Messiah would come and do. Jesus, our Messiah, fulfills all three of those. He is a prophet. He is a priest. And he is a king. Okay? Again, many thought David was close to that because David was, was both a king and David, um, is, it says in the Bible that David is, is named among the prophets. But David wasn't a priest. And again, David was flawed and had his own sin to deal with. So when, you, when we say Christ, you need to think Messiah. When we say Messiah, you need to think anointed one. And when you think anointed one, or when you hear, yeah, when you hear anointed one, you need to think prophet, priest, and king. Jesus is all in one. I was thinking about this um, this week, but I was thinking, okay, prophets are anointed, priests are anointed, kings are anointed. And I was thinking, was there a time in Jesus' life where he was anointed? And there, there were times later in his ministry that he was anointed, but initially there was no, um, when Jesus went into his ministry, initially there was no one individual that anointed Jesus. It was later on, there were, there were women that had anointed Jesus' feet, his head, and it was before his, his burial. And I was thinking like, well, when was Jesus anointed? And it occurred to me that at the baptism of Jesus, the Holy Spirit came and remained upon him. Of course, the, the uh, anointing oil represents the Holy Spirit. The, the dove came and remained on him. The Holy Spirit remained on him, and he was empowered for ministry. So it was literally the Father himself who anointed Jesus. In fact, it says in Acts Chapter 10, I think verse 38, it says that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went about doing good, healing all who were under the oppression of the devil. So Jesus was anointed by the Father himself. Now, I want to demonstrate to you how each of these anointings that, that were on his life have a very practical application to your everyday life. Okay, prophet, priest, and king. Jesus fulfilled all three. Okay, point number one, Jesus the prophet. 
okay? Jesus isn't just a prophet. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the word of God. It says in John chapter one, actually this is one verse that uh, predates um, Genesis. In the beginning was the word and the word was, was with God and the word was God. He, and it's speaking of Jesus, Jesus isn't, he didn't just have the oracle of God. He is the oracle of God. He is the mouthpiece of God. He is the exact, exact representation of the father. It says this in Hebrews one verses one through three. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. So good. So you had prophets. Prophets would do this. They would say, thus saith the Lord. This is what the Lord says. And they deliver message. And you have Jesus doing this. He didn't say, thus saith the Lord. He says, I say to you, I say unto you. Okay. So this is why Jesus could say things like this. You have heard it said, don't murder. But I say to you, don't hate. You have heard it said, don't commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks upon a woman with lust has committed adultery in his heart. You have heard it said, an eye for an eye or tooth for tooth. But I say unto you. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say unto you. So Jesus knew the Old Testament. He was the author of the Old Testament. But he is the final authority. He's the final word on any subject. Jesus is the final authority on any subject that there is. Why? Because he didn't have the words of God. He is the word of God. He is the oracle of God. This is why you and I can also receive a bad report, maybe from the doctor. And you can say something like, I think I'll get a second opinion. And God will have the final word on that. Amen? Yeah, get a second opinion from a doctor if you want to. But listen, on my life, on my marriage, on my finances, on my health, God has the final word. God has the final say. Maybe you've heard it said, your marriage is over, your finances are a mess, your health is in crisis, you're addicted, you're sinful, you're depressed, you're hopeless, but then Jesus can come along and say, but I say unto you, I have a solution for that problem. Jesus will have the final word in your life. Here's what I want you to get, take away with that today. Jesus isn't just a prophet, he is your prophet. He spoke words in the Bible and, and scriptures, but he speaks to you individually. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. I love this. I love that there's no, no one between us and Jesus. You can hear Jesus' voice yourself. It's not through me or, you know, I, we believe in prophecy. We believe we can get a word of the Lord for each other. And the, we love the gifts of the spirit and all those things around here. But Jesus can and wants to speak to you individually, in everyday life, in every situation, he wants to lead you. Amen? <clears throat> He'll speak to you about your bus a business decision you're making. He'll speak to you about who to marry. He'll speak about the house to buy. Amen? He will speak to us. Okay, that's Jesus, the prophet. Yay, more than a prophet. The word of God himself. Number two, Jesus, the priest. In the Old Testament... The priest was the mediator between God and man. They were representatives that, that um, represented the people of Israel, and they would make sacrifices at the tabernacle or in the temple. They'd make sacrifices on behalf of the people's sins, bring that blood into the holy place, 
and uh, make uh, and and there would be atonement in that matter. In the New Testament, Jesus is our great high priest, and he didn't just take the blood of bulls and goats to atone for our sins. He used his own blood. And the Bible says in Hebrews that he went into heaven with his own blood and made atonement for our sins and washed them away pure. Amen? He is not just... The, the priests themselves, again, had their own sin to deal with, but we have a great high priest who didn't have sin to contend with, and he's our perfect high priest. First Timothy 2, 5 and 6 says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. He was our perfect sacrifice. You can imagine it like this. We have God the, um, we have us and God the Father. And Jesus comes along and grabs our hand. He grabs the Father's hand and says, you know what? There's irreconcilable differences here. There's a chasm of sin and there's irreconcilable differences. But I'm going to come as a mediator. I'm going to come in between. I'm going to take your hand, the Father's hand, and I'm going to join you as one and reconcile you back to the Father. This is what Jesus did for us. I don't know if you've ever been in a, a situation where you needed a mediator. You just had contention or something happening, and you brought in a mediator, some equal party, uh, some, some party to represent both sides and to work out terms and negotiations to bring peace to a situation, okay? Jesus is our mediator. Jesus is our representative. How many know you have a representative in heaven? Here in the United States, we have a um, representative democracy or, or more accurately described as a republic. We have representatives who go to Washington, D.C. and vote. They, what are they doing? They're Ideally, I don't know if they always do. They're representing us. Well, listen, you have a perfect representer who's gone into heaven, who sits at the right hand of the Father. His name is Jesus. Hebrews 2, 17 and 18. He's our empathetic, compassionate high priest. He's not just the priest. He's our empathetic, compassionate high priest. For this reason, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the, the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Our empathetic great high priest, he came to this world. He was, the Bible says he was tempted in every way possible, yet without sin. He is able to identify with our human frailty. He's able to identify with our weaknesses. You have a representative who knows exactly what it's like to walk in your shoes. No one, in, no one in the world, not even your spouse, the person you're close to, knows what it's like to do a day walking in your shoes, but we have a representative who knows exactly what it's like. He is our empathetic, great high priest. We have a great high priest, but he's also a king. Point number three, Jesus the king. He's not just a king, though. He's the king of kings, and he's the Lord of all lords. Revelation eleven fifteen says this. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Jesus came first to bring liberty from sin and, to, and reconcile us and make peace with God. 
but he's coming again to bring all things under his dominion and all things under his control. But here's the cool thing. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is the Lord, but guess what? We get to do it today. I'd rather get in on the first one, you know? I'd rather bow my knee now than have to be forced to bow later on, amen? He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. I'll conclude with this. Jesus is the Messiah. He fulfilled the office of a prophet. He fulfilled the office of a priest. He fulfills the office of a king. I want to ask you a question. Is he your prophet? Is he your prophet? Does he speak to you personally about situations that you're personally going through? He knows exactly what you're going through. He knows exactly the situation you're facing. He's our empathetic, merciful, compassionate, great high priest. He's a priest. Have you gone before the Lord with your good, with your bad, and with your ugly? And said, Lord, transform me. That's really what we do, amen? Go before him with the good, the bad, and the ugly, and let him transform me. He knows every weakness. And allow yourself to be known by him. Allow yourself to be known by him. You can tell him every, anything. He knows it anyway. You might as well talk to him about everything and say, God, here's my shortcomings. Here's my problems. Here's the good. Here's the bad. Here's the ugly. Now help me out. Okay? I love it. Number three. Number one, is he your prophet? Number two, is he your priest? Number three, is your king? Is he your king? Have you allowed yourself to bow down to this king of kings and lord of lords? Maybe you know him as Savior. Maybe he's your Savior, but do you know him as King? He wants to be the King of your heart. I want to show you one verse where you can see all three of these messianic attributes rolled into one verse. It's John chapter 10, verse 27. He says this, My sheep listen to my voice. That's the prophet. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them. That's the empathetic high priest. And they follow me. That's Jesus the King. My sheep hear my, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Prophet, priest, and king. Verse, let me read the next verse to you. Verse 28. But here's an amazing, here's an amazing thing when we follow the king. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one can snatch you out of his hand if you belong to him. No one can do that. The devil can't do that. Principalities and powers... People who love you, hate you, like it, don't like it, no one can snatch you out of his hand. I want to pray this morning for two groups of people, and you guys can go ahead and stand to your feet. The first group of people, perhaps this is everyone, is those of you, you're here, and you want to go deeper with Jesus. You want to know this Messiah, and you want to know him as prophet, priest, and king. I'm going to pray, and then I want to pray for people who need to place their faith and trust in the Lord. Father, we love you. I thank you for every individual in this house. Lord, I pray that we all, all of us, from the greatest to the least of us, just like your word says, would know your voice and the voice of another we would not follow. We would discern and understand and know that when you're leading us and what you're saying to us, we would know you as our prophet. Lord, I pray that everyone here would know you 
as the empathetic, merciful, and compassionate priest that has gone before us to represent us to the Father. I thank you. You know exactly what it's like to walk in our shoes, you know, and you represent us perfectly to the Father, Lord. We thank you that that's who you are to us, Lord, and I pray everyone have a revelation of that today in Jesus' name. And Lord, I pray that we would know you as king, not just a king that will come back someday, God, but you'd be our king here and now, that we would follow you in Jesus' name.